genre. Hello, Tuckers and Untuckers alike. Welcome to Beyond Geek by Night, where we will be discussing Geek by Night minute by minute. No, that's the wrong show. Um, where we will be discussing each episode <laughs> of Geek by Night leading up to the series finale. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the series premiere and the first four episodes of Geek by Night reboot. I am your host, Matt Bennett. Beyond Geek by Night is a discussion after show for specific episodes of the Geek by Night series, so if you've not yet listened to Reboot, go do that now. Trust me, it's good. While we will be focusing on Reboot specifically, we won't necessarily be avoiding spoilers for later episodes, so if you haven't yet listened through the holiday special, be warned that you might get spoiled on some plot points. And here is our panel. I'm joined today by creator and executive producer Scott Corelli. Hello. Andrew Ball, who voices Simon Holt. Hello there. Ray Russo, who voices Gwen Allen. Hello. And Reboot's guest star, Cosmo Peters himself, Paul Mackey. Hello. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Thanks for having us. So, Good to be here. Uh, Scott, I want to start with you because uh, a lot of our listeners might not know that the Geek by Night series that they are listening to is actually a reboot of a previous series that uh, a lot of us call Geek by Night 1.0. So can you tell us a little about the journey from Geek by Night 1.0 to the series that we all know and love today? Uh, yeah, so um, I originally created Geek by Night in 2007, I think, uh, if my uh, if my dates are correct. And uh, uh, cast, um, actually, uh, all three of uh, the, the, the guests that we have today. Um, in that original show, uh, two of which in, as the same character, uh, one of which as a new character, but uh, in a similar function. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I uh, created that original show. Um, originally, it was written to be a YouTube like uh, uh, video uh, series um, and uh, the budget for, of which would have been way too high. Um, and so I eventually switched that over to an audio drama after hearing some uh, podcast audio dramas that were mostly dealing in fan fiction, uh, things like Buffy the, Between the Lines, and um, realizing that uh, there could be an opportunity for an original series uh, in that realm. So uh, I created uh, this show um, as an audio drama at that point, and then... Uh, Used Buffy Between the Lines um, as a place where I could uh, cast people. Um, so I basically just stole all their actors uh, <laughs> and gave them original roles. Um, I did that by uh, uh, actually offering to edit some scenes because they would have, um, rather than having someone uh, edit all of an episode, they would, they would give uh, editors uh, specific scenes to edit um, because they're not insane like I am. Uh, and then... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I edited a few scenes and I was like, oh yeah, I think I could really do this. And they seemed really happy with those scenes. And I started really liking the actors. So held auditions for these roles, <laughs> um, and, uh, ended up casting the show and the original show, you know, it was a very, uh, small group. I was, uh, I didn't have anyone else, uh, helping me with the show. I mean, it was just, it was like the, the actors and I, I had a few people, um, writing, helping writing scripts. 
uh, here and there. But uh, for the most part, it was me doing all of the behind the scenes stuff and uh, sort of directing and editing every episode. Um, and it was a it was a lot of work and, uh, you know, life stuff got in the way and then life stuff got in everybody's way. And eventually <laughs> um, one thing led to another and the show just sort of stopped coming out, uh, unfortunately. And uh, that was, I think, in 2008 or so. Um, we had actually written the final five episodes, but they were never produced because the, the episodes <laughs> were released in sort of five episode chunks. Um, and so there was like uh, there was the first five episodes and then there was a break of like a solid like nine months to a year. And then the next five episodes came out uh, and then there was uh, another break that just never ended. Um, but the scripts were written and the first two episodes, I think, were edited. And then my computer went kaput and I lost everything. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Note, note, note to the kids at home, back up your things. Um, but, uh, yeah. And so after that happened, uh, that was sort of, I was like, okay, uh, I don't know what's going to happen now. I don't know if I'm going to keep going or if I'm just going to start over or what. Um, and then as I was waffling on what to do, uh, a lot of the cast members, you know, uh, just got busy. Everybody's lives got busy and it became increasingly apparent that we wouldn't, we weren't going to be able to continue the show at the time. Um, and then, uh, you know, I just sort of put the show on the back burner. It was always this thing that was bothering me that I never got to end the show that I wanted the way that I wanted to end it. Uh, and I never got to, you know, do anything more with those characters. And I, I loved all of these characters so much and the actors that were playing them. And I just wanted to hang out with everybody again. And, uh, eventually I went to grad school and I had, uh, you know, some free time and I, I didn't feel like I was doing anything particularly creative at the time. I had done some short films and then, um, those had all been finished and there was nothing sort of happening, uh, at that point. And so, uh, I, I was like, well, what if I rebooted this? And Nick, who is my, uh, Nick Jimenez, uh, co-executive producer, um, was my writing partner at the time. And I floated the idea to him. I was like, what if we like rebooted geek by night and we talk about all the things that we are sort of feeling as, you know, people who are, you know, millennials who are turning into an adult adults and needing to grow up and, but not, you know, we still love all of this dumb superhero stuff and <laughs> all of this, all of these things that, you know, you're always told growing up that like, Oh yeah, you'll grow out of that eventually. And then you'll watch things like CNN all the time. And you know, I don't know, <laughs> the NCIS or whatever. Stuff adults do. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that never happened. And uh, it, you know, and it sort of gives you some anxiety because you're like, well, I remember my parents, you know, not getting over all of this stuff and, and, you know, treating it like it's a childish thing that you grow out of. And I never did. And is there something wrong with me? And what, what is that like? What is that situation like? And I think that a lot of people our age, um, you know, I think they have similar feelings about that stuff. Uh, you know, why don't I have a house and kids? My parents, had me when they were in their, you know, early twenties. What's wrong with me? Am I? Is there something wrong with me? You know, am I? Is there? Why am I not an adult yet? Um, and I wanted to make a show about those feelings. And I think that originally the original show didn't really have 
sort of a deeper layer to it. Um, I think their original show was more just like, yeah, they're geeks and they hang out. And it was more about me wanting to have a, a positive look at geek culture and the way that I see all of my friends, which are not the Big Bang Theory. Um, and you know, I, I wanted something beyond that. I, I, you know, uh, and, and so that was the original intention of the show, the 1.0 version of the show. And that was it. And so with this new show, I wanted to do that plus all of this other stuff. And, uh, we started talking about the ways in which like, if the show were to start rather than, you know, uh, Elliot and Gibson being in their early twenties, uh, what if we started the show with them, you know, about to turn 30 and, you know what that look what what are their lives like now um if if none of the events of the original show had happened where would they be and then what would the monkey wrench of these you know superpowers look like in their lives going into their 30s and is there a way that we could turn that into an allegory for the way that we feel about our own lives and about uh you know growing up and having this looming sense of responsibility but not knowing how to get there or what to do with it um and uh yeah so that was sort of uh that's that's sort of the 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 where it came from and then i reached out to all of these guys and they all jumped at the chance to be in the show again which i was honestly surprised by because of how busy everyone was but it seemed like everybody sort of missed doing this uh so i was really really happy to <laughs> to have most of my cast back and uh so gung ho to keep going um and start over and yeah that's that's sort of where we were at the beginning of reboot. Sure, uh, I want to take the same topic to the voice actors. Uh, I wanted to go through the three of you and ask you what was your involvement with Geek by Night 1.0, and why did you return for today's Geek by Night? Let's start with you, Ray. Oh wow! So I had been part <laughs> of um, the Buffy Between the Lines, folks. I did a little bit of everything for them. I did some writing. I did some editing, a little bit of voice acting. And then when this opportunity came along, uh, I sort of jumped at it. I was young. I was in college. And uh, I don't know. I I just, um, I I don't know if you can tell, but I'm actually in real life about as awkward as Gwen. And... um, (laughs) Uh, so, you know, having this group of people online who were my friends was really important to me. And the story of my original audition, um, I sent in this tape that was like, I don't know, like babbling at this, like not breathing, just this very anxious ramble. And I had sent it off. And at that point I played it for my mom for a suggestion she told me like you need to slow down you need to do this you need to do that and it really got in my head so when it came time to do the first episode of gbn 1.0 i had her voice in my head so i was kind of you know pulling back a little bit and scott told me later he actually put my audition tape into the episode because (laughs) i had just been more Gwen in that audition tape than after I had gotten this critique from someone who didn't know the show. So, um, you know, being like 
little aspiring actor that I was back then. Um, it was just a lot of fun, you know, and I was really disheartened to when everything kind of petered out the first time. Um, and I, I had a really real fondness for this character because I saw a lot of her in me. And so, yeah, when Scott came around again, X number of years later, I was working in an office and just completely different phase of my life. I was like, yes, I'm here. I'm doing this. And that, I think almost everybody had the same reaction of like, should we do this again? It's like, everyone's like, hell yes. (laughs) Sign me up right now. (laughs) Uh, what about you, Paul? What was your involvement with 1.0, and why'd you come back? Well, 1.0, of course, I uh, like like I believe all of us or most of us, uh, he uh, he uh, poached us off of uh, Buffy Between the Lines, or uh, you know, uh, harvested us out of there, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Transplant uh, uh, Shanghai. I mean, I, I, I it wasn't as though I suddenly was not working with them anymore or something like that. Uh, it was. Uh, just an additional project to work on. But, uh, yeah, I was, uh, originally with, uh, with Buffy between the lines, I was, uh, mainly a voice character for the first step for, for the first season of that. And then I did writing and editing and Foley and all kinds of things. But, uh, but then, um, I got the role of the muffin man. Uh, I can't remember if I can't remember muffin man's, whether uh, I can't remember muffins, man's real name. Uh, but that was the, uh, the deranged baker uh, taking over uh, hostages and such, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I actually used uh, when I was first doing my uh, uh, experimental uh, podcast audio novella with uh, Jack Mangan's Deadpan podcast. Uh, really big things. Sorry, that's a lot of titles all at once. On Jack Mangan's <laughs> Deadpan podcast, I did a, a serialized uh, audio novella called Really Big Things. It was experimental, and right at the beginning of when I started to do that, um, I was reading like all of the characters the same, and everybody sounded the same, and people said they were confused, so I ended up putting character voices on all of those, and not having a ton of range, I, was, I experimented with a few of those character voices when I was doing... Uh, uh, Muffin Man, and ended up with the the, uh, I guess you'd call it Christian Bale as Batman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the the real gruff thing. Uh, it's it's basically that. It sounds a little bit to me in my head like I'm uh, doing Harry Monster off of Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I did that, and uh, the character uh, appeared in the f- second episode. I think it was. Of the, uh, or maybe it was like at the, like like basically part of the first arc, of the uh, initial series, and of course when uh, when Scott asked if I would uh, join back up the second time, I was like, sure, I'll do I'll do anything. Um, I think by the time, by the time the character was was uh, finishing out the first series, I, we had dropped the uh, the hairy monster voice, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> So, so the new, the, the new, uh, the new character, of course, I was like, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll do, I'll do anything. And he graciously wrote the, oh, I don't know if he wrote Cosmo for me, but he definitely wrote, uh, a good new character, uh, instead of the, uh, deranged Baker. I definitely wrote Cosmo with you in mind. Oh, thank you very much. 
Uh, what about you, Andrew? Uh, yeah, like uh, like the others, I was originally uh, with Buffy Between the Lines. Uh, I was a voice actor and director for them. Uh, you know, I was in college and I was really getting into voice acting, maybe hoping to make a career of it. That didn't really happen. But uh, yeah, I originally auditioned for uh, Simon and Elliot. And uh, sort of inverse to Paul, like on Buffy, I did a lot of character voices. Like, you know, I played De Hoffren, I played a lot of demons and stuff. But for this, I was finally getting to use my real voice, <laughs> which was nice. And, you know, I, yeah, like, like Ray said, I saw a lot of Simon in myself. I am someone who, you know, really does sort of judge my value by my intelligence. So there was, you know, a kind of pride and vulnerability in Simon that I really related to. And, you know, now I'm working in an office job and when the reboot came up, you know, I'm not doing any other voice acting stuff anymore, but damn it, I'm protective of Simon. <laughs> you know, he's he's my character. And yeah, I knew if, if I could come back, then I would, because I wanted to see where his story went. Yeah, uh, I'd love to keep talking about Simon. So uh, if, diving into the reboot episode here, when we see Simon waking up the day after the explosion at Swift Industries and sort of discovering his powers a little bit, this is one of my favorite parts of the episode. What I really like about Simon is that he is a scientist who also takes a scientific approach to exploring his own powers and everybody else's. So you mentioned this a little bit, and I'd like to hear more, but do you connect to that uh, sort of analytical, logical part of Simon? Or uh, in the same position, would you be having like a, a Gibson freak out when you discovered your powers? Um, I honestly would probably be having more of a Gibson freak out. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that is some one of the things I love about Simon as a character is that that scientific mindset you know i'm more of a creative type than a you know i love science but i'm not the most analytical person in the world but i love how he that's actually kind of one of the differences i love about simon in the reboot is his maturity like he's you know, more socially mature, more in control of himself. So I love that when the powers do come up, he's like, all right, let's deal with this problem. <laughs> uh, so this reminds me of a, a, a fun question that I want to ask each of you. Uh, so say it is the next morning after you played the game. What powers would you want to wake up with? Uh, Scott, how about you first? Oh man, uh, super speed without a doubt. Um, just because I like, uh, I, I, I would enjoy moving from one place to another a lot faster than it takes in LA traffic. 
Uh, Paul, what about you? Oh, superpowers, I'd say either... I'd, I'd go invisibility or flight, perhaps. <laughs> um. uh, Ray, how about you? Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to say I want super strength. I want to be able to, like, <laughs> lift a tank over my head. <laughs> uh, what about you, Andrew? Uh, you know, fittingly enough, my cop-out answer to this is always super intelligence. <laughs> because, you know, if you can invent the gadgets, then you can give yourself every other superpower. It's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, so, Ray, mm-hmm. uh, I want to shift to you for a little bit. Sure thing. So, uh, Gwen's powers are used for really interesting story moments throughout the series. But in this first episode, it also brings a lot of really funny moments with you inhabiting the body of Joel Vickers, who is voiced by Zach Luna. Mm-hmm. And there's this technique of the two of you speaking at the same time because you're in his body, but with your mind. So what was the recording of this like? Did you record that first or did Zach? And how do you think it ended up? I recorded it first and then um, Zach would or whoever I, in this episode it was Zach, in any other episode it was whoever was uh, playing the person I embody would then record to sort of match my vocal patterns. And I love it. I think it came out so great. And it was exciting for me because in 1.0, whenever I, uh, whenever I took over somebody else, it was just the other voice actor. Um, (laughs) So me and my vanity, I got to hear a lot of more, more of my own voice this time around. <laughs> um, no, I just think it was a really cool effect, and it was just fun. I don't know. There's something about it. It's really unique, and because it's an audio format, there's only certain... I feel like there's a little bit of limitation in what's going to play well, and I, I just think it came across so cool. Awesome. Uh, Paul, you've got the next one. Uh, One of the great things about Geek by Night is that even the antagonist characters, the ones who oppose our heroes, aren't always necessarily evil people. It's even mentioned in Reboot that Cosmo is more of an anti-hero than a villain. So is this how you would describe Cosmo? Do you think Cosmo's still a a, a good guy? Oh, yeah, I'd definitely say so. I mean, he was... He was originally the you know the, the the comic book store's owner first, and uh, he he um, I wouldn't say that that his uh, his situation forced him to be um, bad that much. I'm sorry, I'm 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 not necessarily the most articulate person for these recordings. That's okay. I'm sorry, that's all right. Um... Scott, do you want to tell us about some of the creative choices between writing somebody who uh, is traditionally seen as a as a villain, but you know our our characters know and um, is sort of developed as a as a human being before getting his powers? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like you know, that old chestnut in storytelling. Every villain is the hero of their own story, and if you're going to write a proper uh, a proper villain, then you need to understand their perspective. Uh, and so, 
with all of this, I mean, one of the things, one of the biggest creative touchstones uh, for us when writing Geek by Night is uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I think that, you know, one of the things that that show always did really well is when they would have a Monster of the Week sort of uh, character, it was always tied into the theme of the episode, the story that they were telling, and very rarely was the monster just a monster. It was usually representing something or they were more uh, they were more complicated from a uh, character standpoint um, where you sort of understood where they were coming from uh, from a certain point of view and I wanted to bring that uh, to this show as well because I actually do miss shows like that the sort of monster of the week um freak of the week sort of thing i mean i a lot of shows abused that format and and would have a lot of episodes that would be filler episodes i'm looking at you smallville um but 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 in general um i think that if you use that format properly i think you can turn out some of your best episodes uh, would be separate from whatever the ongoing mythology would be. You know, some of my favorite Buffy episodes and X-Files episodes had nothing to do with the season arc. They were just a really cool character story. And um, that's sort of, I wanted to to find a way to sort of have my cake and eat it in, in that. I didn't want to have an episode that didn't have anything to do with anything. But um, I wanted to make sure that uh, each each episode's story stood on its own, something you could probably listen to without the context of the rest of the show and enjoy to a certain extent. And then if you were listening to it as part of the grander, uh, you know, structure of the of the show, you would also get, uh, a, you know, more of a mythology um, side of things out of it. But yeah, you know, so I always treated every every uh, villainous character that we tried to come up with on the show um, as a character first and really uh, get in their head. And I think I think that all started with Cosmo. I think Cosmo's character built the um, the the sort of structure that we ended up going with in uh, in future episodes. Yeah, if uh, so. I could, if I could, now that I've been thinking about it more, I mean, uh, sure. yeah, Cosmo is definitely more of a. More of a, I see him more of the victim and the victim that's lashing out when he gets the opportunity more than uh, more than a villain. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I don't I don't think he really has any. I don't think he is there a lot of collateral. I'm trying to remember. There's not a lot of collateral damage to people that weren't involved with the, his his victimization. No, I don't think yeah. so. No. Yeah. So I mean, I definitely that definitely works out with the antihero vibe. So, Scott, you mentioned uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and X-Files as influences, particularly in terms of the Monster of the Week format. Mm -hmm. What are some other influences that you had on writing the show? Uh, Gilmore Girls is definitely there. Um, That's, you know, just due to the fact of, uh, you know, having a cast of recurring characters that just pop in and do their thing. Because uh, I've always I've always loved that. The problem is that I love characters too much, and so I fall in love with them, and so I just keep giving them more things to do, uh, rather than cr- writing new characters. I just keep using the same ones over and over again, uh, and uh, that's it's sort of I think I get that from you know like Gilmore Girls and The Simpsons and things like that, um, where they they create a one off character and then they're like I actually like this character a lot, so they just keep bringing them back over and over again. And obviously the sort of pitter-patter of the dialogue, that that definitely um, 
comes from uh, Amy Sherman Palladino uh, and her influence. Um, but uh, also, you know, uh, Edgar Wright movies and all kinds of stuff. Uh, this this show is like really um, uh, from at least for Nick and I, I think it's it's just a uh, uh, just a, a mashup of everything that's ever influenced us. I think, um, and <laughs> yeah, so it's it's just very much. Uh, I don't know uh, our 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 whole deal because um, I mean that's the thing is like we're we're writing this and it can be whatever we want it to be and so it just becomes very much uh, us. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a really quick commercial break here. Today's episode of Beyond Geek by Night is brought to you by Monopoly Comics. Monopoly Comics, because where else are you going to go? <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> um, so this show is very much a celebration of uh, being a geek, being, um, you know, kind of celebrating the things that society tells us that we should not be uh, obsessed with or are big fans of. Uh, so I want to go around the circle and ask everybody, what are you a geek about? Uh, what about you, Andrew? What are you a geek about? Uh, let's see. Uh, superheroes, though I lean a little more DC than Marvel. Uh, space travel, dinosaurs, and uh, Xena Warrior Princess. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Paul? Uh, I guess I mean it's it's kind of interesting. I, I, I we all have our geek uh, specialties. I didn't. Uh, I don't really have the comic book angle at all, which is funny because I'm the you know the, the original comic book owner in the beginning. And I had to look up. I had to look up at the time how to pronounce Mjolnir because I wasn't sure. <laughs> um, but I am uh, definitely. Uh, I would call myself a, a high level Buffy geek. Uh, Whedon, for the most part, I guess, geek. Um, and then also just, I, I'm a big, uh, not specifically uh, any particular uh, source, but I'm a big fan of any uh, multiverse uh, storylines. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and Scott? Oh, man. Um, you know, Doctor Who, Buffy, uh, comics in general, and... Uh, just so 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 many things uh so so many things it's <laughs> it's uh and just growing every every um every year so uh yeah uh, but doctor who i would say doctor who and spider-man are probably like the two biggest ones for me um at least at the moment so uh yeah i would say those ones yeah it was really important for me to ask that just because this show i think is um you know it's it's a lot of it's about giving I guess, permission for people to be a geek about something. Uh, and I think that's really, uh, really important, really powerful. And I think it's a, a big draw of the show. Mm -hmm. um, Paul, I want to come back to you. So there's a, a stinger at the end of this episode where, uh, you know, the action has really settled. Um, the story's getting wrapped up and the mysterious woman sort of recruits Cosmo. Uh, this is definitely explored more later in the series, but at the time of recording Reboot, did you know where this was going, or were you as in the dark as the listeners when that happened? Not a bit. I had I had no clue what was going to happen next. <laughs> uh, so, Scott, when you were writing this episode, did you have a clear idea of where it was going, or were you trying to um, 
set yourself up for later. Uh, no, I knew exactly who that person was and uh, uh, where um, that storyline was going and how it was going to connect the things. Uh, I, I, I had uh, done a lot of um, uh, set up stuff that I didn't really have answers for uh, on the previous show, and I wanted to make sure that I didn't do that this time. Um, and uh, so I made sure that we had talked about the sort of mythology of the show and, and where uh, certain things were going. And it helped because it allowed us to sort of um, uh, set some things up and, and uh, you know, release some hints here and there. Uh, about where things were going so that when people went back and listened to the show, um, it really did seem like we knew what we were doing uh, and we didn't just sort of stumble backwards into a uh, 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 solution. Sure. Uh, so this episode is also, uh, along with our introduction to all the characters, it's an introduction to uh, sort of the production value of Geek by Night. And one of the really defining things for me is the music. So while we're hopefully going to have the uh, Scott Tofty on in a later episode to dive more into this, uh, I was wondering, Scott, if you could tell us a little bit about uh, the direction for the music and what you were looking for and some of the choices you made with that. Um, so in 1.0, we had no music. Uh, we, you know, we had a, few, a couple of needle drops and we had the the main theme from the original uh, series, which was a uh, Nerf Herder song called I'm Not a Loser. Uh, and that was kind of it. The show itself, like when you were listening to the show, there was no score. There was no incidental music. And so that was definitely one of the things that I wanted to change about this. And knowing that Scott, who plays Max, of course, uh, is a musician, uh, I just asked him if he would be interested in uh, composing the the music for the show, uh, and he was sort of really excited uh, to to take that on. And I'll let him talk more about that um, whenever he gets gets on here. But for, as far as a uh, creative direction for all of that, um, I I kind of just we we sort of worked through it because in the first episode he was trying to recreate some of the transitional music that I had done. Uh, there we had some transitional. Uh, music that sort of um, uh, broke up scenes so that you the the listener knew when we were transitioning into a new scene and it was just like this little acoustic guitar riff uh, that I wrote and and recorded with a uh, a a sort of um, it was like a guitar uh, like like virt it was like a virtual guitar video game on a Nintendo DS. Um, and I forget what the name of this thing was, but that's what I wrote the the music with because at that point I had I had previously been a musician but had quit music and so I didn't have any instruments and but I did work at GameStop so um I just <laughs> checked that game out uh which they let their employees do and then I just uh recorded some stuff uh for the show and just use that as tra as transitional material but the previous iteration of the show was a lot more sitcommy. And that riff was sort of sitcommy. It reminded me of um, the sort of music that they play uh, in establishing shots in like Friends. Like, like it's like, oh, they made a joke, and then like they play this little guitar riff, and oh, look, it's the coffee shop, and now we're in the coffee shop, and then the scene starts. Um, and that's 
that was sort of what the music reminded me of. And at first, Tofty was doing that, um, was doing a sort of variation of that. And then it wasn't until I put it into the show that I realized, like, oh, this isn't really working because it's giving it a sitcom vibe, um, which isn't really what I wanted to have. And uh, we sort of talked through it, and he figured out uh, – rather than looking at sitcoms for inspiration, he started, I think, thinking more in terms of um, a one-hour drama like a, like a Buffy or uh, whatnot. And so he came up with the – the uh, uh, I think an, a musical identity for the show that I think works really well, and it's now a thing where I think I know what Geek by Night sounds like, um, and I think he does as well. Where I I just sort of trust him to come up with cool stuff, and he always does. Uh, so um, it's been it's been a really great collaboration, I think, because uh i've really given him a lot of leeway as far as what i want you know i was like i don't want the sitcommy stuff other than that you know like you f- you figure out what you want to do with it and i think he was able to come up with something uh really unique and something that doesn't sound like anything else and um it's uh distinctly geek by night i think yeah yeah it's really cool to hear about those intentional choices for uh for the music, you know, in a lot of ways, I think Geek by Night really couldn't be any other medium other than a podcast, uh, con- you know, considering some of its choices. Mm-hmm. So uh, on that note, I, w- I have another question for the whole circle. Um, what podcast are you listening to right now? Or if you're not listening to anything right now, what is a very good one that you've listened to recently? Uh, let's start with you, Andrew. Uh Actually, it's funny you should ask because I recently—I just recently started a new job with a half-hour train commute, <laughs> so I have taken uh, the opportunity to finally start listening to Welcome Tonight, mm. <laughs> which I am just adoring because I'm weird and slightly macabre, <laughs> so it's right up my alley. Uh, what about you, Paul? Uh, I, I used to be a really voracious podcast, uh, consumer because I was working a job that was basically, uh, like manufacturing type. It was, it was, it was, uh, optical media duplication. So, uh, there was a lot of time where I was just by myself working machines. I didn't have to hear anything happening. So I just, uh, had, had earbuds in my ears all the time. Uh, so, but, but, um, now I work, uh, master control operator at a television station and it's pretty critical to actually hear what's happening on the air so uh i really don't have that kind of opportunity anymore plus i live in a a much smaller town now so i don't have commutes anymore either my commute is literally five minutes up the hill to the tv station so uh but that said i do have a couple i i'll I'll, uh, i'll refrain from plugging my own at the moment (laughs) uh but uh i have been listening to uh the Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast and its uh, companion Angel on Top, as well as um, Veronica Mars Investigations, um, which has uh, um, well, I'm really bad with people's names suddenly, but it has it has a, um, the same uh, Jenny Owen Youngs is uh, the host of both Buffering and uh, on Veronica Mars Investigations, and then um, uh, it doesn't necessarily count as a podcast but uh, i listen to the a couple of different bbc radio 4 uh podcast feeds for uh friday night comedy and the quiz shows 
Scott, how about you? Uh, currently, I am uh, binge listening to Blank Check with Griffin and David, um, and uh, which is uh, a podcast where the hosts take a filmography from a from a director and they they cover each film in the filmography and they try and find directors who at some point uh get basically a, a hit so big that they're given a blank check and then um the thing that they like talking about is uh what they did with that blank check and whether or not uh the movie worked out for them um whether that's uh creatively or um uh, uh financially and then um and then, of course, I'm listening to uh, what is probably my favorite podcast, uh, which is uh, Podcast The Ride, which is a uh, comedy podcast about uh, theme park rides. Um, and they talk about a different ride each uh, each episode, and they talk about uh, the history of the ride and uh, and all of that while also being uh, very funny. Um, so that's, that's one that I am uh, fully caught up on, but I can't wait for a new episode every week. Huh. That sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Scott, another one for you. Uh, later episodes in the series were casted by Gretchen West's voice actor, actress, Chelsea Kern. Mm-hmm. But this initial episode was uh, largely casted by you. So what were some choices that you made in casting either specific characters or this uh, ensemble cast? Uh, well, um, obviously most of my work was done for me because, uh, I just brought back a lot of the original cast, um, everyone except for, uh, Elliot and Mindy, uh, and then Gretchen was a character that I think we mentioned, but never actually, uh, cast before in the original show, um, so, uh, you know, I, I had that. And actually, part of the inspiration for bringing the show back was that I was um, directing a short film uh, called The Cupid Division. And while I was directing it, I was sort of looking at uh, my actors and thinking about Geek by Night and looking at my actors and thinking about Geek by Night. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Uh, um, and I, cause I just realized that my, my two leads in that were, uh, like just the, everything that I imagined Mindy and Elliot to be. And those were, um, two of the actors that I knew that I wouldn't be able to get back. Uh, uh, Kevin Ziegler was, um, uh, one of the Elliots in, uh, Geek by Night 1.1.0. Cause there is technically a 1.0 and a 1.5, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh he was uh he was uh, our 1.5 Elliot and uh and he you know came back to do artwork for the show and things like that but he was not interested in in coming back as a, a in an acting role though he is really happy with uh with what Matt did with the with the character and cuz he felt a little once the show actually started going and we had cast Elliot and everything I, he reached out and was like you know, I'm I'm actually kind of bummed that I didn't come back, and I was like, "Well, I asked you, man." Um, but uh, but he was really happy with uh, with Matt's performance, and so um, you know, he's he's happy to be just taking a back seat and doing the the artwork and stuff. Uh, but uh, and then and then of course um, we just couldn't get a hold of our original uh, our original Mindy. Um, I don't know; she just fallen off the grid or something. Um, so, uh, you know, while directing this short film, uh, Matt and Morgan were just both like exactly what I picture had always pictured for 
Elliot and and uh, and Mindy just their regular personalities um, and the way that they interacted with people on set. Uh, Mindy, uh, you know, being that more uh, brash and giving people a hard time, and and Morgan can be like that sometimes uh, when she's feeling confident, and uh, and and Matt being a uh, uh, kind of a nervous wreck um, of a person uh, a lot of the times, but then also confident when he's you know when he has to be, and. So, you know, they were they were very much just those characters and I was like, wow, that's great. Um and then I originally wrote Joel for one of my other uh actors in that um in that uh that sh- that uh, short film. Um but he ended up not being able to uh play the part and that left of course Chelsea who was I, I didn't have an idea for a character, but then when I thought about bringing Gretchen into the fold and creating that whole Gretchen mystery, you know, part of me was like, oh, that would actually be a great role for her. But then also the other part of me creatively and selfishly knowing that uh, I would love to give her that role, but also Gretchen is going to be gone for most of the season. And that would bum me out to cast uh, Chelsea in that (laughs) role uh, and then her just not be in most of the show. Which I think that that my guilt from casting her as that as that character, um, I think, is partially uh, at least uh, responsible for uh, making her casting director because I still wanted her to be extremely involved. Um, and uh, and so when it's like, OK, you're going to be gone at the like halfway through this first story, but uh, I still want you involved. So please be the casting director or, or something. And, you know, I could always count on her to get stuff done that needed to be done during the short films and things like that. So I knew she would be great at it. And and she was more than great at it. She totally blew me away as far as what she was able to accomplish. But, yeah, I mean, in this first episode, it was largely me casting a lot of the people that I already knew, you know, like I knew that I wanted Paul to play Cosmo um, because I knew that the Muffin Man wasn't going to come back. And I knew that I wanted Rachel to play the mysterious woman because I knew that her character from Geek by Night 1.0 wasn't going to come back. Um, And so it was a lot of that. uh, And then whatever was left over, I just did my best to have like an open audition thing uh, through my other podcasts. And then that's how I ended up getting Zach because Zach was a listener of my... uh, uh, one of I had a Buffy rewatch podcast and he was listening to that. Um, and then when I said that this was happening, he like auditioned for it and got it. And now, you know, we hosted three seasons of Spider-Man Minute together and uh, he's an uh, extremely good friend of mine. Um, so it's it's weird how it all worked out. But, yeah, I kind of just cast my friends for the most part in this first one. Uh, and then and then Chelsea uh, made the whole thing more legitimate by casting uh, outside of our friend circle. Awesome. So as we wind down here a little bit, I've got one more question for the whole circle here. And obviously, this is a comic book in audio drama form. So the the big final question here is, who is your favorite hero or villain from a superhero story, whether it's a comic or a show or a movie? What about you, Andrew? Uh, Squirrel Girl, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I know I said I prefer DC, but Squirrel Girl is the mm. best. Any particular reason? <laughs> I just, I like the intention to keep superheroes from getting too self-serious. <laughs> you know, just 
you gotta keep it light sometimes. <laughs> Paul, what about you? Who's your favorite? Uh, well, I, when I was when I was growing up, I didn't read tons and tons of comics, but the two that I that I followed briefly here and there were uh, Green Lantern and Flash, and I'd have to say uh, I'd have to pick Flash for sure if I was going to pick between those two. And you uh, I mean just being open to all uh, all uh, superheroes, I would say Buffy the Vampire Slayer, obviously as well. Mm. <laughs> Scott, probably a tough question. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I mean, it's, it, it, it's it, my two favorite superheroes of all time are Spider-Man and the Flash. Um, and uh, I actually the Flash's rogues are a big uh, inspiration for the way that we write villains on this show um, for me, uh, just because yeah. of, uh, you know, the rogues aren't his his rogues like he has villains, but then he also has this group called the rogues that are these sort of like B-list uh, villain characters who they have like a code of ethics and you know they're like look we never hurt women or children uh and you know we we only rob people who can afford it you know and so they they have this this weird code of ethics and it's this thing where the flash is like okay like i gotta i gotta stop you but like you know you could just knock it off i mean that'd be cool if you could just knock it off <laughs> um and and so like i i just i really love that dynamic and uh i've definitely brought a lot of that um into uh, geek by night and the way that our heroes interact with our villains very cool well, it looks like we are running out of time here. I want to say thank you again to all of my guests today, Scott, Paul, Ray, Andrew, for joining me. And thank you to all of you, the fans, the underdogs, for listening today. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, please join the Dueling Genre Patreon at patreon.com DGP. That's DGP as in Dueling Genre Productions. You can also tell your friends, families, and followers to subscribe to Geek by Night on iTunes. Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for the next round of episodes, the four-part release of Status Quo. Thanks for going Beyond Geek by Night with us, and we will see you next time. Music